0: Kevin Markwick
1: (laughs) May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke seating areas on the right hand side of this auditorium have been designated as No smoking areas. Your cooperation is appreciated. Um, oh, what are they call the White Stripes from 2003 Elephant I think I'm too relaxed don't you might be the antibiotics <laughs> no, I'll be fine as long as I sit up straight it'll all be good so thank you to Adrian for the previous two hours of Soul Loveliness Kevin Markwick here with what we're describing as the original Curate's Egg of a show. All sorts tonight. Some really good music, actually. Warpaint, Hamilton Leithhauser. Uh, Sounds like that should be off Beachy Head somewhere. Eugene McGuinness, Bob Mould, Sharon Von Etten. Van Etten, sorry. (laughs) I just changed her. No, it sounded like a World War I pilot all of a sudden. Uh, the Cars, The Deline, The Delines, The Delines, Lloyd Cole, all sorts. I'm, uh, the film stuff, we've got things from X-Men, uh, Prisoners, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis' marvellous music from The Road, that'll have them rolling in the aisles, and Shuggy Otis, who we didn't get around to last week. I'm also going to do half an hour on epic movies. It's either going to work or not going to work. Who knows? Music from The Robe, The Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, Cleopatra, and Braveheart. Freedom! So let's get things going with the Arctic Monkeys.
2: What's been happening?
0: It's too late.
1: out of it Arctic Monkeys from AM which has swept all before it of course okay so uh, it's usually about this time I uh, put the call out Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show please do it would be great to hear from you at Kevin Marquick on Twitter uh, you can hit me up there and we can interact or you can uh, go to our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. The We, I'm using that royal We again. It's me as a Facebook page. Uh, the Kevin Markwick Show, you can find find me there. And uh, hurl all manner of abuse at me if that is your thing. Uh, what else can you do? You can email the studio, actually. Studio at FM. Shall I check the email? See if there's any emails?
0: Uh, uh, uh,
1: nope studio at Uckfieldfm.co.uk is the address if you want to ask me a question uh, or serve any kind of legal papers that would be the place to do it um and it would be good to hear from you really to, to let us know or let me know what's good about the show what isn't good about the show what you think we should be doing what you think we shouldn't be doing uh in the meantime uh, on with the music this is uh war paint love is to die paint from los angeles that's from the self-titled second album out now on rough trade they're busy the whole summer of course all over europe at a festival near you including reading and uh, that one in wales i forget the name of time for one of these now That's the good, isn't it? From the LP Black Hours. Uh, he's at the Bush Hall in London tomorrow night he's not coming this way, then he's sort of wandering all over Europe doing festivals like everyone else, it seems. Uh, the other thing, what was I going to say to you about the show? Oh, if you don't know about the show, then what we do is we do half an hour of this kind of indie-styly music and then we do an hour of film-based uh, nonsense and then we do another half an hour of really good music before 11 o'clock. So it's kind of a bit of a, bit of a weird thing, really. It's neither one thing nor the other. Story of my life. Here's Eugene McGuinness. <laughs> Jean McGuinness, Godiva, Uh, that's from the new LP Chroma, which is released on the 7th of July on Domino, I knew I was going to fall foul of that, Domino, Domino, Domino Records, yes, Um, so that was very good. Uh, what was I going to say? A couple more tracks left uh, before we hit the film part of the show. And this is a good one. This is uh, former Huskadoo guitarist uh, Bob Mould. It's called I Don't Know You Anymore. <laughs> of agreeable isn't it it's got a slightly retro feel i think but what do i know um bob mold from the new album beauty and ruin which is out on uh, june the third so just sit back relax if you're suffering game of thrones anxiety because we're not going to get any game of thrones tonight which is the one thing i look forward to when i get home after doing this show is to sit with my feet up and a glass of wine and game of thrones but because it's Memorial Day in the U.S. No, 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 we're not allowed to see it today. So, you know, if you are suffering some anxiety, uh just listen to the show, and we'll 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 take it all away from you. Um, the other thing I wanted to say was that we wanted to, or I wanted to say that there was this uh, webcam thing. You can go to the website uckfieldfm.co.uk, and you can see the back of my head. Yes, which let's face it. Um, is probably better than uh, britain 's got talent or something that 's on the television here 's Sharon Vonnet and this is the last track before we move into the film uh, film part of the show it 's called every time the Sun comes up <laughs> Uh, from the LP, we that uh, I'm blathering tonight. Have you noticed? Has anyone noticed I'm blathering a bit tonight? Uh, Are We There, which is out tomorrow as it happens. Um, so that's it for that half an hour. Then there's going to be the second half an hour after one of these. FM.
3: Kevin Markwick.
2: Kiora makes orange flamenco. Lemon and lime cascade. Orange lemon and lime from Kiora for a cool one of six.
1: the film part of the show now for the next 60 minutes i've kind of broken it up into two bits we got um music from films just stuff that i felt like playing you really and then the second half hour i'm going to try and do uh whizzy whiz through epic movies the history of epic movies is not really an accurate history it's just some of the good music that i wanted to play and it's kind of stringed together by by the fact they're all epic and that they happen one after the other it's all smoke and mirrors on this show. So, uh, I thought I'd start with the music from X-Men, uh, Days of Future Past, which is just uh, sweeping all before it at the box office. Currently, I uh, was at 91 dollars or something in the US at the weekend. Even we did well with it today. Ha, ha, ha. And it's lovely weather, isn't it? Lovely. I love the sound of barbecues fizzing out. Sorry, is that a bit mean? Uh, and the score is actually rather pleasant as well uh, by John Ottman, who has done work for Brian Singer in the past, uh, The Usual Suspects, at Pupil. Uh, he did X2 Superman Returns. And sadly, they both worked on Jack the Giant Slayer, not their finest moment. But it's a it's a pleasant score. This is called um, well, it's a, an arousing score too. What do I know? Uh, and the film is actually rather good. It's a uh, the last two have sort of turned the franchise around a bit after that terrible X Men Origins oranges. oranges, oranges. Um, but the first class was rather good, I thought. And oh, you know, I mean, as good as people in stupid suits can be but uh it it kind of clicks along and uh i think it's the heavyweight acting the michael fassbender's and the um you know gandalf (laughs) (laughs) and the bald bloke what's his name from the starship enterprise anyway this is the music from x-men days of future past (laughs) Stuart, isn't it? That's what I was trying to think of. I still can't remember Gandalf's name. It'll happen to you, you know. Thingy. That's from X-Men Days of Future Past. The uh, score by John Ottman. That track is called Hope. That's alright, isn't it? Except it does that at the end. Now, regular listeners will know that it keeps doing that on a lot of my tracks and the definition of stupidity is to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. I've got to look into it, haven't I? Or at least know which ones are going to do it so I can fade it out first. Right, moving on quickly because I've already been speaking too much and my timings are right up the wall. Uh, I finally caught up with um, Prisoners, Dennis Villeneuve's film uh, recently on the download arrangement televisual thing and actually I was really impressed I'd kind of avoided it a bit, it looked like a kind of silly um, silly thing and it wasn't at all, it was a rather considered and interesting film with uh, Hugh Jackman about, uh, well, I won't tell you what it's about if you haven't seen it. And if you have seen it, you don't need me to tell you what it's about. But I, what I liked about it was the way it kind of shifted around. You know, the good guy became the bad guy, and the bad guy became the good guy. And then it, it sort of, you weren't quite sure the ground uh, upon which you were standing. And I thought that made it interesting. And particularly, Roger Deakin's cinematography, I thought, looked absolutely fantastic. It had a real kind of. Uh, ethereal quality to it something very um very unsettling i'm not quite sure how you do that but he did it and it was uh yeah very entertaining and the score uh, by uh, johan johansen was also rather good this is called through falling snow Johan Johansson's music from Dennis Villeneuve's film Prisoners, which uh, you should go and have a look at, actually. Uh, I saw one of his films before, En Sandis, that was his. That was quite interesting. I think he's uh, partial to a shaggy dog story. I think that's his thing. But Huge Jack, Jackman was good. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal... And Maria Bello turned up. I haven't seen her for a while. So uh, go and check that out. Also, uh, what else did I want to play you? Oh, yes, from The Road. Uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis's score. I was just sort of listening to the, the um, X-Men thing and the Prisoners thing. And there's a kind of similarity. But actually, uh, I think The Road is probably better than the both of them put together. Have a listen to this. Wonderful, isn't it? Nick Cave and Warren Ellis' score for John Hillcott's deeply affecting adaptation of uh, the Cormac McCarthy novel The Road. Uh, If you've not actually uh, heard any of their other scores then you should go and check them out, Uh, particularly the uh, score for The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That is a truly, truly beautiful piece of film score writing. Uh, What am I going to do now? Oh, so it's all been a bit of a downer. Let's cheer ourselves up. We played one from this last week, and I'm going to play another this week, because it's just such a lot of fun. This is from the uh, Chef soundtrack, and it's the Martinis, Hungover. (laughs) come over all previous As my nan used to say my nan never said anything like that to me ever uh, that's uh, the martinis hung over from the chef soundtrack uh, or was music used in the film Chef. Uh, John Favreau's kind of returned to indie filmmaking after all that Iron Man nonsense. Sort of going back to his swingers' roots, really. It's not quite as hard-edged as swingers. It's got a very, very soft centre, actually. Maybe that's middle age doing it to him, I don't know. But uh, the martinis being the band, a Pixies guitarist, Joey Santiago. And that's right, it's a great soundtrack album. It's got all sorts of really interesting, wonderful, kind of funky Cuban-Latino stuff on it. Uh, now, Shaggy Otis, finally... Sweet thing from the Dallas Buyers Club. Then we'll have a break and then we'll do epic stuff. Sweet Fang. Shuggy Otis from the uh, soundtrack album of the Dallas Buyers Club, which I've been meaning to play for ages and ages, uh, which, of course, won the Oscar for Matthew McGonaghy and quite right, too, despite his lunatic acceptance speech, which is fair. I suppose if you've reached the top of your profession, you're fully entitled to do something completely insane in front of 16 billion people. Absolutely fair enough. Okay, so um, we're gonna have a break, and then we're gonna go into the sort of epic. I'm gonna play you epic music because I like epics and I like epic music. Um, So don't forget. Also, we're online at Kevin Markwick. We're on uh, on Twitter, on the Facebook, fastened book and thing. We're uh, the Kevin Markwick Show. You can contact us there. Just you know, if you're listening, just tweet. If you're listening, just go hi. I'm listening. Uh, and then at least I'll know that you're out there. So um, please do that. We've got uh, a few more guests coming up, actually, over the next couple of weeks. Next week, uh, Phil Lott's going to be in. Uh, he's over from Los Angeles. He's got lots to talk about and lots of things, uh, TV and films that he makes. Uh, that'll be quite interesting. Uh, also, then, the f- week after that is uh, John Baronechia, uh from the uh, House chain of cinemas. Yeah, OK. That's the... <laughs> They nick my name, okay. And then um, uh, who we got after that? Oh, then then I'm away, so I've got a recorded show. I'm going to do you a uh, film musical special, where it'll be all music from the musicals. I'm sure you'll be looking forward to that. And then the following show after that is the last one. Wow, it's gone so quickly, hasn't it? Here's here's a break, and then when we come back, epic stuff. One- so you're listening to the kevin markwick show on uckfield fm here till 11 o'clock tonight and for the next half hour we're going to be talking big epics um they were a sort of an attempt to save cinema from television really uh and so i've donned my sandals i've stuck a broom on my head and i'm wearing a skirt if you will, just to give it the kind of Roman touch. Uh, so if you could imagine in 1948, cinema was at its absolute peak. Was it something like 1,500 million people or something? It's a stupid number of people went to the cinema every single uh, year. In fact, if that number of people still went to the cinema every year, I'd be doing this show live from my hot tub at Caesars Palace in Vegas. Sadly, they don't not that many people go i mean it's improving all the time but from the low in 1984 up to the current since anyway enough of that that's not what we're talking about we're talking about uh, cinema's attempt to kind of stop television and stop the decline and they invented these massive widescreen processes uh and one of the one of the early inventions was uh, cinemascope which was um Invented in 1953, and the first film in Cinemascope was The Robe. Now, I don't want to get kind of boring and technical about it, but basically what it meant was the picture was, well... To say it was twice as wide is not quite true. It's actually more than twice as wide as it was before. It's very technical. He'll fall asleep if I explain why. But cinema was square-shaped. All the way in its early days, it was square-shaped, what we call four by three. And then we went to a wider picture, and then Cinemascope was even wider. And it was sold as the modern miracle you see without glasses, obviously, because 3D even then was rubbish, like it is now... Uh, but it wasn't much of a film, to be honest. Richard Burton, Gene Simmons. The robe was the robe of Jesus Christ. I don't know. They carried it around in their pocket and miracles happened. Um, but it did get CinemaScope off the ground, which was actually owned by 20th Century Fox at the time. And they, they owned the the patent and the rights and they wouldn't let anyone else use it. So, uh, But it was funny because everyone got around it in other ways, you know. Technoscope and Veriscope and all these other kind of wonderful scopes, but anyway, the music was rather good. Uh, Alfred Newman, of course, famous Alfred Newman, uh, grandfather of uh, Randy Newman, um, no relation to Paul Newman, probably. And this is uh, called uh, oh, it's end title and Alleluia. <laughs> They didn't undersell those things, did they? <laughs> that was part of Alfred Newman's score for The Road*, the first film in Cinemascope in 1953. There had been epics before that. Quo Vardis had been a massive, massive hit, uh, winning an Oscar for him. Whose name escapes me It was in Spartacus, you know him. And if you're shouting at the radio, Twitter in. Um, oh, you know, the raconteur fella. Anyway, um but this was the first in the big widescreen process now Cinemascope's no big deal really not now anyway I mean films are still we project films in Cinemascope still Uh, you know X-Men's in scope Uh, in fact I think pretty much everything apart from Postman Pat this week is in scope so uh, that's what we doctors call Cinemascope. Uh, so it kind of stuck, fortunately. It's a, it's the sort of letterbox shape, which I think John Ford famously described as being no good other than for shooting snakes and funerals. So in 1956, Cecil B. DeMille shot a film in VistaVision, which is actually a 35mm process, which went sideways in an attempt to improve the definition, but not in 70, you know, it wasn't a big format, but it went sideways, which seems a kind of bit, daft to me the idea was that it it would improve the uh, definition because you were using a large area of the film i mean perhaps you know with with film being a chemical uh, process uh, there is grain on the film and the more you blow the grain up like you imagine in cinema got this tiny little frame and you throw it on this big screen well one tiny bit of grain can uh, you know end up being quite big so if you have more picture over uh, less area of film you get less grain Did you follow that? Anyway, and it went sideways, which was bizarre. So uh, instead of having a scratch running down the screen, you had a right... (laughs) scratch running across the screen not that many people actually ran it in VistaVision as far as I know not not properly I did come across an old VistaVision projector when I used to work for Odeon at the Odeon Hammersmith back in the late 70s but it's about the end you know, that was kind of abandoned in one in an old cupboard but I can't imagine many people used it and, and it was abandoned fairly quickly actually but the film was enormous it running a total of 220 minutes it was uh, Cecil B. DeMille's bible in pictures film and it was truly epic and it was running in cinemas for For years and years and years, you know it's kind of silly and bonkers and Charlton Heston let my people go, Uh, but of course the score was uh, truly, truly wonderful. And this is uh, oh here we go. This is Prelude. Elmer Bernstein, of course. They weren't mucking about then, were they? I mean, they really weren't. What a fantastic piece of music. Prelude, which I'm assuming actually is the overture from The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's bonkers, daft Moses film, Blood My people go!" and, uh, you know, Anne Baxter as his uh, missus. Be careful, Moses, and all that. Wonderful kind of uh, 1950s uh, makeup that she had on. Uh, and you know, because one of the things, uh, the roadshow, was it a roadshow? I suppose it was. You know, there was much more to showing films in those days than simply putting on the ads and trailers and putting them on. Because that piece of music was the overture, and you would run that. It was a blank piece of film with just sound on it, and you would run that uh, with the lights going slowly down. And then when it finished, the curtains would open, and there would be the big screen, um, and there would be uh, an overture to the second half, and even play-out music. At that time, they had uh, play-out music, which because uh, the theatres were so big and they were filling up on a Saturday night, it would Take that long to empty the theatre um but you know that showmanship's kind of gone and i don't you know i guess people don't want it do they they want to get in they want to get out they've got things to do but it was a whole evening i mean you think about it, 220 minutes that's long and by the time you've added in the interval and all that kind of stuff uh you know you've got quite a bit for your money so which brings us to the epic of epics uh the mighty mighty ben Hur. Apparently. Oh, that really... I'm I'm sorry. I'm really enjoying myself. This is excellent. Uh, Miklos Roche's mighty, mighty score for the mighty, mighty Ben-Hur, which was really the high point for epics. It was the most successful. It was a fine film. It won every Oscar going... Uh, and in fact it was the film that saved mgm twice once in the silent era and then again in 1959 when it swept all before it winning i think was it 21 academy awards or something the most i think it wasn't until titanic that a film won as many Academy Awards, Charlton Heston, uh, the brilliant, brilliant Willie Wyler, the director, uh, who was, you know, it still remains, uh, his his CV is still one of the greatest CVs of all time. And that was made in a, and of course you had the Chariot Race and Stephen Boyd and uh, the Love Story and it just all kind of came together and, you know, a slightly sort of bonkers story. But uh, they all had a slightly bonkers story, um, but it was just done with such chutzpah and such... Uh, um belief and you just you would see a film I don't think you'd see a film like that today not really and it was photographed in a process called Camera 65 which was a 65 millimeter negative um which meant 70 mil in the cinema because you had five millimeters for the soundtrack in those days a uh, 70 millimeter film had magnetic sound you remember your old um cassette tapes uh the tape inside that's what uh, that's magnetic tape and it would be um stuck to the side of the film and so five millimeters of the 70 millimeter was for that and the camera negative was 65 uh, and you'd have left channel right channel center channel and surround channel and a left center and a right center we didn't have um multiple surround channels in those days it was just one surround channel um but i'd loved i never saw it in 70 more i really wish i had And camera 65 actually applied a bit of an anamorphic squeeze to it as well so it was really slotty really long and uh it was pretty much the widest format Uh, uh, certainly widest release format at that time I don't think um, there'd been one any wider but it was kind of the uh, it peaked (laughs) the epic peaked in 1959 Uh, and I know this isn't you know this is hardly Mark Cousins story of uh, film is it scientific uh, way of looking at things but uh, when we come back after the break we'll go into the film that uh, sadly uh, heralded the, the demise of the epic
0: Sound better.
1: FM. so you're listening to the kevin markwick show we're having a rather higglety piggledy trawl through epic epic movies it's not very scientific and not especially accurate. I mean, there's far more we could say about all of them, but um, I'm already running out of time. So what after Ben-Hur, the mighty, mighty Ben-Hur, came Cleopatra in 1963. Uh, It was notoriously expensive uh, and pretty much killed off the career of its director, Joseph Mankiewicz. Um and it was one of the first films whose reputation preceded it to its detriment really Uh, and it was so wonkingly expensive it nearly sunk 20th Century Fox that it started the decline in kind of sword sandals and and massive, you know, throwing enough money at a film to make an epic to make it make a box office impact. Uh, It was shot actually in the Todd AO process which had been used first in the David Niven film uh, Around the World in 80 Days. It was a camera. Um, invented by Mike Todd, who had been um, Elizabeth Taylor's husband and was tragically killed in a car, uh, in a plane crash. And so part of her million dollar deal, which is the most at the time uh, for any actress or any actor, I think, at the time, uh, pay or play, she ended up earning far, far more than, than a million, million dollars from it. But part of her contract said that they had to use the Todd AO camera process. And it does look fantastic. If you look at the, um, uh, the, Cleopatra's entry into Rome sequence probably never see the like of that again and actually I have a soft spot for this film I think it's okay, I think it's been uh, sadly neglected and certainly the first two hours is uh, really compelling, it's not quite so good in the second half, but the first half really really stands up, Uh, Rex Harrison as Caesar and uh, obviously Elizabeth Taylor's very good in it and all the the supporting cast, uh, Martin Landau and all all those people and it looks, just looks amazing I'd love to, there's apparently a sort of five-hour cut out there and all the bits are missing and they're slowly slowly beginning to find all the elements and one day we might see this extraordinary cut of cleopatra and joe mankiewicz's original vision uh may be available to us and one of the great things about the film is the score by alex north <laughs> love that it fades into the battle scene where they've just defeated pompey which they had to go back and reshoot after they'd been shooting for something like five years or something it wasn't five years but it was a long time and a lot of mining and it still didn't look right the battle scenes so they went back and shot some more um And uh, it was just the most extraordinary. You know, they even started shooting it with a completely different cast in the UK. Uh, Peter Finch was uh, Caesar. And uh, they had one or two others as well that would have made their careers or would have destroyed them. Difficult to say. But, of course, the Burton Taylor love story was the thing that took over and uh, overshadowed it. But uh, I love it. I think it's... um I think, again, it's the like of which <laughs> we will never, never see again. Now, the here we go. Fall of the Roman Empire. Now, that's an interesting one. Um... That really was the last knockings. Uh, it was a fine, intelligent epic, actually, because they were kind of getting smarter and smarter. I guess they had to be. Uh, directed by Anthony Mann, who'd made El Cid and had a big hit with that some years before. Uh, it was made in 1964 with Sophie Loren, uh, Stephen Boyd from ben Hur*, and Christopher Plummer. It was actually the film they sort of based Gladiator on. I mean, it's not quite the same, but... Um, the, the Emperor's the same, and the going to Rome and having to fight thing is the same. Uh, it was a massive undertaking uh, shot in Europe and they had things like 8,000 extras in this scene and to this day the recreation of the Forum in Rome remains the largest outdoor film set ever built Uh, it was amazing absolutely amazing I'm sure where is it it's in the desert somewhere it's in Spain I think Um, should be a tourist attraction really shouldn't it uh, they probably paper mache sort of felt a bits. but um, and that was shot in Ultra Panavision 70. I think they were trying to outdo themselves with with words Super Ultra Panavision 70, which was uh, I'm not quite sure the difference in um, I suppose Ultra Panavision was a 70 millimeter Panavision process. I'll look that up if you're sufficiently interested. Uh, no, Kev, actually we're not. Um, And it was produced by Samuel Bronston, who'd had big hits with King of Kings, which was the I Was a Teenage Jesus, Uh, El Cid, or "Old Cid, as we used to call it, affectionately. (laughs) And 55 Days at Peking. But this was an epic too far. And um, despite it being well-reviewed, I think it still gets 100% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. It is a fine, fine film. It looks great, but it was one humongous flop. Uh, and it kind of broke everybody it broke well, broke the producer, you know bankrupt, and all the rest of it, and sort of sounded that was the end of the big epic really but and one of the great things also to come out of it was uh, the score by Dmitri Toymkin. <laughs> uh, Dimitri Tonkin's score for The Fall of the Roman Empire, which is also the fall of the epic film really. And uh, that's apparently, there's around 200 minutes of that score, apparently. It's quite something. I've not listened to it all, I have to say. But I have seen the film a few times. And if you've not seen it, I can highly recommend it. Uh, which kind of brings us to the end of the epics. I was going to do Braveheart, but you know all about that. Freedom! All that stuff. Uh, basically, as a coder, you know, this is kind of what epics are now. They're just kind of long. Um, but unfortunately, I've run out of time, so I can't do that one for you. 70 mil is about the only film that I'd say I miss seeing. Um, I'll be honest with you. When we were on the switch to digital and 35 mm all you know, dying off. I don't miss it one tiny bit. I've been you know humping cans up and down and having my fingers you know sliced open and all that kind of stuff since I was the age of 14. And it's 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 bulky and you know, and it might have a bit of nostalgia, but I don't miss it at all. But 70 millimeter, that's quite something. The only way I can describe seeing 70 millimeter is like you know when you clean the windows. And you go, oh, oh, look, that looks clean, and I can see everything. Well, that's what seventy mm looks like. We see Lawrence of Arabia on a big screen in seventy, or any of these epics. It really is quite a revelation. But I don't. We will certainly never see seventy mm again, because uh, and all um, all apologies to my mate Dave, who might be listening. Even IMAX isn't in seventy mm anymore. So uh, that's it. Uh, what have I got to do? Oh, we're gonna have a break because I've been talking far too much. Here you go.
3: Kevin Markwick.
0: Uh,
1: absolutely adore that tame one uh, from your friend or tarin blake miller as she's known she hails from lawrence kansas and that's uh from her debut ep jekyll and hyde uh which is just coming out on domino records and uh to be highly highly recommended this uh is oh we're gonna go two tracks now actually two tracks from 1984
3: like a born again Living like a heretic, Listening to Arthur Lee records Making all your friends feel so guilty About their cynicism And the rest of their generation Not even the government Are gonna stop you now But are you ready to be Heartbroken Are you ready to be Heartbroken Pumped up full of vitamins count of the seriousness you say you're so happy now you can hardly stand or lean over on the bookcase if you really want to get straight read norman mailer or get a new tailor are you ready to be heartbroken are you ready to be heartbroken are you ready to bleed What would it take, what would it take To wipe that smile out of your face Are you ready to be, are you ready to bleed Get ready,
0: now, baby. ready to bleed. Ready to bleed, ready to
1: bleed. Lloyd Cole and the commotions. From Rattlesnakes, of course, in 1984. You'd think I'd remember that I said it less than three and a half minutes ago, wouldn't you? Here's another one from the cars. This one brings back memories. (laughs) Yes, it does, mate. Heartbeat City from the album of the same name in
3: 1994
1: we've been dated but I think it holds up alright Okay, this is a good one this is uh, The Delines it's called Calling In and it's rather rather good
4: Let's never go back.
1: D-lines. D-lines? Delines, Delines, D-lines? delinesi I don't know that much about them, but I like that. Uh, they're playing the Palmyra in Brighton on June the 22nd as part of their UK tour. I think it might be worth checking them out. OK, we'll have one of these, and then uh, the fat-bearded lady has sung. So that's it for another week, I'm afraid. It's all over. I'm going to leave you, actually, with um, Bill Callahan from his current album, Dream River. It just rem- uh, remains for me to say thank you very much for listening. It does mean a lot to me. And thank you to all the people that podcast. I know there's a lot of you out there. La- all my love to you as well. So I'm going to leave you with the dreamy, dreamy, lovely sound of Bill Callahan. Good night, and I'll see you next week. Love you. Bye. Come September, come fall,
5: holding a job was not believable behavior at all. So I split. But like a beaver is a damn builder, you never really quit. I made some dough, and I socked it away. I always said for a rainy day I never truly knew who I was Working for anyway The rich or the poor Who am I working for? The rich or the poor Hurricane hit. Some found it suspicious that I just since left the frame. Like all that time spent down by the water had somehow given me control over the rain. And some people say wrongly that I wash things away. Guess I got my rainy day. Lighted the hand and tricked the land and blew the air.